Hey, hey, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about Monopoly content, and I am super ridiculously excited about it, and not just because I love the Monopoly board game, although we'll get to that in a minute, but because I think a lot of people are messing up their content strategy and putting way too much Monopoly content into play. So we're going to be talking all about that in just a moment here. Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. What is Monopoly content? Monopoly content is mass market. It's conglomerative content. I don't know if conglomerative is a word, but like that is the best way I can describe it. It's almost like group sourced. It's watered down. And since it's watered down, it's going to have, you know, a lot of people who like it. That's that mass market appeal that we're talking about. But also, since it's watered down, there's not really much that you can kind of like stake a claim with. You're not going to have a lot of authority opinions in it. Or if you do, they're going to be super popular opinions, in which case they're probably not building a whole lot of authority for you, right? But because it has mass market appeal, you see a ton of it out there. You see Instagram feeds just like flooded with all those like, you do you, or, you know, boss babe, like, you know, all of those things, especially a few years ago. That is exactly what I'm talking about when I say monopoly content. It looks good. It sounds good. It feels good. But is it really driving conversions? Monopoly content will often look good, but does not aid in converting clients. And it may even get a bunch of engagement along the way, so you feel like it's doing a good job. Ooh, this one got 42 likes, and yesterday's only got 21. Must be doing something, right? Right? But is that double tap like doing anything for your business? It's probably not. In fact, I am going to go out on a limb here and tell you that in my business and in the businesses of many of my clients and colleagues, the content that gets the most likes and comments, you know, traditional vanity metrics of engagement, is often not the content that is actually converting clients. Sometimes the content that's converting the most clients is barely getting attention on social media when you put it out there like that. And the reason for it can be varied. Sometimes you talk about very sensitive things, like one of my clients is a relationship coach, and you know marital and divorce issues aren't super fun to talk about on social media. So when she puts out really good posts on it, maybe a lot of people aren't liking it because they don't want to be seen as liking it. So that's one reason why you might not be getting a lot of engagement on your best content. But those are the kinds of pieces that are actually going to put clients contacting you. Or in the, you know, very summarized way of saying butts in seats, dollars in pockets, right? So when we're talking about monopoly content, it often has that mass market appeal. It's going to look good, all of that stuff, but it's not special. Think of, you know, the kind of books that you still see at airports. I know that there aren't as many bookstores in airports today now that everyone's using like the Kindle e-readers and things like that. But remember how like you used to pass by Hudson News and they'd have like all the showcase books like on the end caps and things like that. They were always mass market books, you know, like books by like, you know, Dan Brown, you know, The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, right? Yeah, they're really popular. And for a brief period, they felt special and people were talking about them. They even made movies out of them. But can you name the last Dan Brown book that came out? I can't. And I've read like five of his, but 
I cannot remember the name of the last one that came out. I don't know if I've read it. I don't even know when it happened because it's no longer special. That mass market appeal made it almost average or a commodity. And if there is anything that we as online service businesses want to do, it is to avoid being a commodity. Now, regarding monopoly content, I am not saying never, ever put it out there. You do need a balance, but like maybe don't have 90% of the content that you put out there be this monopoly kind of content. You want maybe 90% to be sticky content. Go listen to my episode on that if you want more information on what that is. But yes, you will have the occasional like mass market appeal. Definitely, it's nice to have like a good post driving engagement, kind of like a raw, raw, good feeling one, right? It's just not going to do you very well if you focus 100% on that. Okay, so why did I name it Monopoly Content? Is it based on the board game or is it based on like the government not wanting to have monopolies in the world? It's kind of both. So let me explain both of those ideas to you. So first off, you know, monopolies in business, right? Like Amazon's like an online monopoly. Facebook is a social media monopoly and the government's trying to take them to task over that, right? You don't want your kind of content that you put out there in the world to be seen as just one and the same as everybody else's. It will really hurt your business. This is one of the reasons why I think that generic prompts lists are so bad, you know, like the 365 ideas of what to post today kind of products that you're seeing online. I despise them. And the reason is they're generic. For them to appeal to the mass market, there's that buzzword there again, right? But for them to appeal to the mass market, they have to be generic enough that they can apply to everyone. Now, I have purchased a few of those over the years, and I know that some of them actually have some like niche-specific prompts, like here are prompts for consultants. Here are ones for people who only do coaching. Here are ones for only do health and wellness coaching. But even so, they're still generic to everybody in that health and wellness niche, or everyone in that coaching niche, or everyone in that consultant's niche. And I'm trying to remember an example. I, I know the first one I ever really laughed at and realized this was something along the lines of, tell them about a time your mindset affected a business decision. And I laughed and I was like, geez, tell me a time it didn't. I mean, right? But you look at those lists and you're either spending so much time trying to think of a scenario in your world that actually fits their prompt, or it's not specific enough and it has nothing to do with the kind of content that your best client, the kind of person who will actually pay you money, wants to see, so you're just wasting time with it. I don't like those generic content prompts because they make you sound like everybody else. They lead to similar messaging. And whether you are trying to serve a whole lot of clients with low entry offers, low priced offers, or just a small handful of clients with high ticket offers, either way, you sounding exactly like the next person up the block is not going to help you book in those clients. They're going to think that you've got nothing special to offer because your content shows nothing special. It doesn't make them think anything special about you. It doesn't make them think differently about whatever problem it's that they have that you offer to serve. And because of that, they're not going to hire you. So generic prompts lead to similar messaging. And that is what happens when that monopoly on the kind of content is put out there. And I really think that while a lot of these lists were put out there with good intentions, all they've done is perpetuate this monopoly conglomerative content. Remember, mass market has appeal, but it is not special. Now, the game aspect, the you know Hasbro Brothers or Parker Brothers or whatever it is these days, the Monopoly board game. 
I happen to love it. Like, I really like playing that game. And the fact that I'm raising a nine-year-old who also loves it makes me very happy because most people won't play with me. Why will most people not play that game, even though it's a fairly popular mass market game? Well, it takes too long. It's kind of like content, like newsflash, hello. Good content does take you a long time to create, but also good content is not always what you think. And I like to use the monopoly content term for this reason as well. So if you think back to the last time you did play that board game, you know, some people, some players go straight for the high dollar properties. They want the boardwalk and the park place. They want the green properties, you know, like Pacific and Pennsylvania, North Carolina Avenue, because they're the expensive rent properties. Someone lands on those properties. If you've got a couple houses or a hotel, it's gonna hurt. They are the high ticket properties. Me, on the other hand, when I play this game, I like to go for the orange properties and the railroads. Those are my favorites. So I probably just totally outed myself to everyone who will ever play this game again with me. But, you know, so be it. The analogy matters here, right? So the orange properties I like because they are the first properties that you're going to hit after you've been in jail. And a lot of people spend a fair amount of time of the Monopoly game in jail. So if you roll a six or an eight or a nine after getting out of jail, you will end on one of those orange properties. And while they're not the most high ticket properties, they are very commonly landed on as a result. I also like the railroads. Again, not high ticket. They only max out at $200 in rent, and that's if you have all four of them. But all those little percentages of money add up. And because there's a railroad on each side of the board, it makes it really easy to pick up steady rent along the way. So if you liken that game strategy to how people build their marketing and content strategies, it all makes perfect sense, right? So, you know, some people are going to have just like, you know, a handful of clients in those high ticket programs. Some are going to be like the Baltic and Mediterraneans of the world. All they do is sell really low priced products, but to a lot of people, and they hope that all those little percentages add up. Also like the railroads, right? And then other people are going to choose a very well-needed product, something that really everybody needs. And they're going to have to learn how to market it to a special sounding niche. They're going to have to give up the monopoly aspect of it and really dive into their marketing and content and strategy and all the messaging and everything. But they're going to pick up a lot of clients because it's like the orange properties they get landed on the most often. So when you're thinking about monopoly content, you know, you want to think about it like this. Some of your content does need to appeal to the mass market, but, you know, a small amount of it. If you're high ticket, you only need people to land on your property, on your boardwalk, once or twice, and you bankrupted them. Well, that was really a bad analogy. We don't want to bankrupt our clients. That's not what I'm saying. But I think you get the point, right? You don't need a lot of that mass market appeal. You don't need a lot of it because it only does just so much. And since it's only two properties on the board, people aren't going to land on it very often. So let's have less monopoly content, less mass market content, and then more sticky content. So again, if you want to hear more about sticky content, you're going to want to go to that episode. I'll have it linked in the show notes. I think it's episode 132, if I recall. That sticky content, that's like the kind of content that gets people thinking differently about their problems. And that ultimately is so important when you're devising your marketing strategy. When you get people thinking differently about their problems, you naturally become part of the solution to that problem. And when you become the part of the solution to that problem, everyone that's looking at your content naturally associates you with that kind of issue. And this is great, not just for your own audience, but also for your colleagues online. When you become the go-to person who can solve content strategy 
and someone's like, oh, someone's got a content problem, contact Brittany. Someone's got this, contact so-and-so. You know, like that helps your referrals. It also gives you more authority and credibility when you are appealing to cold traffic people, when you have that built-in social proof as well. Okay, so summary of this episode, monopoly content often looks good. It might even get a bunch of engagement, but it doesn't aid in conversions. And because of that, your business will fail if the majority of the content you are producing is meant for mass market appeal and isn't meant for that small percentage of people that just really need to get what you do and what you're about so that you can help them. All right, guys, I will see you next week. We're going to be talking more about a few content problems, a few more kinds of content that you would probably want to avoid as being the majority of your content. And then we'll probably close the series out with an update to the whole thinking aspect of your content strategy. See you soon.